Thank you for listening to the teaching podcast of Muncie First Church. If you would like to know more about us, go to MuncieFirstChurch.com. Or if you would like to support a ministry, go to the giving page, MuncieFirstChurch.com slash give. Well, let's jump into the teaching from this last week. Father, right now we just thank you and praise you that you are good and we ask today that you would just uh, show up here. Lord, we want to have an encounter with you. That's our, that's our main concern here today. Lord, it's been great. The music, the stuff that Al told us, all those things have just been awesome. But Lord, if you don't show up, if we don't have an encounter with your Holy Spirit, then Lord, it's not worth it. So we ask you to show up here right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Young ladies, you are dismissed to go with Brooke and Allison. All righty. A couple things I did want to mention. If, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 through 23. That's what we're going to look at here. And uh, those are really important, uh, I think, passages of Scripture. And we're going to talk about that in, in just a moment here. A couple things I wanted to mention. Men, I, all your attention, men, men. Saturday, September the 22nd, 9 o'clock a.m. in the gym, we will be having breakfast together. I need you all to show up. Men, you are negligent in getting together and hanging out with each other. That's normal, but we want to change that. We need to be together. We need fellowship. We need to encourage each other. So please be there. We'll have great breakfast, and we'll have a great time. And uh, we ask you to just come and be a part of that. So I wanted to mention that to you. Secondly, revival's coming up. And uh, I think there's nothing in the year, the church year, that is more important than when we have revival. And so when I do that, when we plan that, I go and I try to find the very best people I can. I don't, you know, sometimes in the past, I think, guy, you know, we did it and we just brought in whoever. We have searched. I, I work at finding someone who can come in here who can help us to grow and to move forward and to become what God wants us to be. And there is no one I know uh, who I believe is more capable of doing that than Brian Powell. And so he's coming here, and I am excited about that. But see, here's the deal. Revival happens with two things. There's two ingredients that have to happen. One is you have to be obedient. And you have to start doing what God tells you to do. When he speaks, you've got to obey. You've got to say yes. You've got to confess. You gotta, you've got to repent, uh, whatever he's showing us. And we all need that in our lives. And secondly, you have to be here. Because if he's preaching to an empty room, nothing's going to change. Okay? And I believe that we live in times that we've got to have some change. If things don't change, we're in trouble. And I'm praying for this revival. I'm praying that God will come and do something really big here. So please, please mark those things down and be a part of that. You know, every person, every family, every organization, every business has a culture. You understand that? We all have a culture. And that culture defines who we are, whether we know it or not. It defines us. And some organizations have carefully developed their culture. They've, they've worked at it. They've tried to change their culture. They've tried to build a culture. They've worked at this, and they've been very intentional about it. And others have no clue, and they just go out, and they just go and do their thing. And after a while, certain things begin to happen, and it's repeated over and over again until a culture develops. And so they have an unintentional culture. 
And some of these cultures are very visible in certain people and in certain organizations, if, uh, if you know what I mean. And some aren't. Like, for instance, Amazon.com has a culture. Does anybody know what their culture is? I think you all do. Culture of Amazon is simply this. It's that you can buy anything you want, and we will ship it to anywhere you want to, to ship it to, and we can do it all in two days. And that is their culture. And I promise you, that, that, that's just about it. Uh, they have huge warehouses everywhere, and they have them all set up so that they can accomplish that very purpose. Because that's who they are, and they want to achieve that. The culture at Sears and Roebuck, or Sears, is way different than that. It's way less defined. Now, it used to be that Sears had a very, very defined culture. When they started, they knew what they were doing and what they wanted to achieve, and they had this culture that was very defined. How, how many of you remember what Sears was? It was the, say it loudly, catalog store place you went and got your catalog stuff it was mail order catalog stuff did you know that you used to be able to buy farm tractors from sears you could buy a farm tractor from sears i've seen them they're they're still around they're collector's items do you know you could buy a motorcycle from sears back in the day I, david roland our district superintendent his first motorcycle was a sears motorcycle he used to deliver papers on it and uh, I saw a couple at a motorcycle show I went to the other day. They're worth a fortune. If you got one in your barn, let me know. I'll buy it for 100 bucks. Maybe even more, just depending on what it is. I, I, they're worth a lot of money. Over the years, it became less and less profitable for Sears to carry everything. And so they began to cut back, and they kept cutting back, and they failed to redefine their culture. And so they finally became the store to buy, like, appliances and TVs and some car stuff and tools and, oh, yeah, some clothes, too. But they really didn't define what kind of clothes they had. Have you ever noticed that when you went to Sears? You couldn't really tell. Is it nice clothes or discount clothes? And, you know, the prices, they just kind of confused you. And you really didn't know what you were doing. And it was like, you know, I could go to Kmart back in those days and maybe get the same thing kind of cheaper. And then finally they bought Kmart and you weren't sure if you were in Kmart or Sears. And finally they discontinued the catalog department several years ago. And suddenly they have no real purpose. And I believe that within the next five years, Sears will cease to exist completely. It'll be gone off the map. And that's hard to believe, because there was a time in my life when Sears was king, and you just didn't believe that would ever happen. The Church of the Nazarene, because I'm really not worried about Sears so much, but I do care a lot about the church, and especially our church. The Church of the Nazarene had an intentional culture in its beginning. We were defined by our revivals. That's how we began, in a revival spirit. As people begin to pray and seek God, God moved, and churches begin to spring up. About 102 years ago, our church came out of one of those prayer meetings, and we began, the Church of the Nazarene in Muncie began right in our, this congregation. None of us were here then, I, I understand that part, but our church started about 102 years ago that way. And, and in the Church of the Nazarene, we were defined by a desire to live out a holy life, not just get saved and go on and do whatever we wanted, but to live a holy life, to be holy people to be what God intended us to be. We were defined by our life of living out the power of the Holy Spirit in us. When the Holy Spirit moved, we moved with him. When he spoke, we obeyed. When we heard the Holy Spirit, we listened carefully. We believed he spoke to us in those days. 
We really did. And we believed you could hear from him. Not only was the scripture a place, and that was the main place where we got our direction, but we believed that the Holy Spirit spoke, and as the Spirit moved, we moved with him. We were defined by our Wesleyan theology. We were defined by our love for people, by our compassion and our ministry to the poor. And we were defined by our commitment to world evangelism. We're defined by our passion. We were a passionate people and we were optimistic. Man, there was nothing more optimistic than the theology of the Nazarene church, which really and truly believed that we could save the world. We had that belief. We were defined by our prayer meetings. Man, prayer meetings that lasted into the night as people prayed and sought God and were so overcome by the Holy Spirit that they wouldn't give up, that they held on and they continued to pray until God moved. And we were defined by our loud and happy celebrations. We were called a holy roller church and that's actually a a term of endearment for some who believe that God is so good that it's good to cheer for Him and to celebrate God. And every one of those items and events I mentioned were part of our culture. It was intentional. It was who we are and who we were. But over time, we began to change, and situations and events have caused our church to develop a new unintentional culture, just like so many. Most people have no, have no idea what our church's culture is now. Our passion for holiness, it turned to a culture of fear. I was raised in that church, the church of fear. It should have been called, instead of the First Church of Nazareth, it should have been called the First Church of Fear. We lived in fear. And it wasn't just my church, it was most of the churches that were in the holiness movement. Not just in the Nazarene Church, in the Wesleyan Church, in the Free Methodist Church, and all of them that are part of the holiness movement. We lived in fear. We lived in fear that we would lose what we had. We lived in fear that we would lose this idea of holiness, that it would somehow disappear. And so what we did is we wrote down a bunch of rules. We begin to write down rules. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't drink this. Don't eat that. And we wrote down all the rules and we made all these rules absolutely important. We said, now if you'll live out these rules, then you're a holy people. And we weren't holy. We were just rule driven. We turned to a culture of fear. We became legalistic. The church became dignified. Oh, we didn't want to be called that church that celebrated loud and holy anymore. And we became dignified. Oh, you know, you really can't hear from the Holy Spirit. I mean, that was just a a way of talking, which isn't true, but that's how we saw it. And we became dignified. We began to look better. We began to build our churches in nicer places. We moved away from the downtowns and the places where the dirt and the grime of life was happening. And we built bigger and nicer places and moved away from those poor places. Since that time, we have proposed many strategies as a church. And I'm not talking about our church. I'm talking about the general church right now. We have called ourselves a missional church. That's one of our themes that we went with for a long time and still do. But the truth is, is we've lost most of our passion for, many, for missions. The, the heart that drove us at one time doesn't drive us like that anymore. We have proposed right now planting new churches everywhere. These are our strategies. This is how we're going to do it. Here's how we're going to change the world. But we really don't believe that we can save the world anymore. The reality is, in many ways, we don't know who we are anymore. We've lost our cultural, our culture. We've lost our distinctive. And the truth is, is that no amount of strategy will ever overcome that. Because strategy just says what to do without knowing why we're doing it. We don't know why we're missional. We don't know why 
we're starting new churches. We're just doing it. And by the way, starting new churches so that we can have more people isn't a good strategy. If we need to start new churches, that's fine, but let's start them with the right reason in mind. Muncie First Church had a cultural distinctive at one time as well. We were very distinct. It was a culture tied directly to the Church of the Nazarene, and as, a, as our denomination lost its culture and distinctive, so is our local church. Instead of existing in the denominational culture, our local churches have all, not just here, but all of our local churches have turned to listening to the teachings of other churches, of the ones on TV, the ones on the radio, and some of that is fine, but that has begun to be our norm, and we have adopted to pop culture around us, and we have brought that in and said that's our norm, and, we have, and as a result, we set aside our holiness theology and have adopted other theology, and in, inside of the Church of Nazarene, there's a sense of fundamentalism and Calvinism and even old, just plain old modernism and modern culture. And that's all become a part of who we are. And we aren't that. That's not who we were created to be. That is not the culture that we set out to become. Many Christians have developed a culture tied to politics. The religious right. And that's not who we are. We have become comfortable with the world. And we have started to say things like, well... I know the Bible says that, but I don't know if it really is what we have to do. I mean, this is a different time. Maybe it'll be okay if we accept that. And that's not who we meant to be. We've forgotten whose we are. Did you hear me there? I didn't say who we are. I said we have forgotten whose we are, and we've forgotten why we serve. Sadly, the culture of our church and of the church has evolved into self-serving, a self-serving, self-focused culture that basically sees that I have no personal responsibility for the church. That's the pastor's job. Anybody ever heard anybody say that before? It's the pastor's job. It's Sunday school superintendent's job. It's the janitor's job. See, I, I have a firm belief that when you walk in this church, if there's trash on the way in, you pick it up. It's not Billy's job. I have a firm belief, if you see somebody spill something, you wipe it up. It's not Billy's job. It's not my job. It's our job. It's our church. But we have developed a kind of a la carte culture. You all know what an a la carte restaurant is. You know, you go there and you get, you know, it's like MCL cafeteria. You know, you go there and I, I want, I want some noodles. Nah, I don't want noodles. I want pie and I want some more pie and I want some more pie. You know, and that's how it is. You know, you just buy pie or whatever you want. And we have developed a kind of a la carte culture or mentality that lets me take it or leave it depending on my felt needs, my wants, and what I lack. And so when I stand up here, or Ian stands up here, or anyone else, Brian, when he's here, Brian Powell, when he's up here, and we begin to teach and tell the truth, and we, we lay things out, and it doesn't agree with you, you go, well, I don't care. I don't have to do that. And we lay it down. And the truth is, is that that's what we're doing with the Bible it's not just what the pastors are teaching. I'm not teaching here that we're infallible and should be obeyed completely. What I am saying is, is that when we're teaching the Word of God, some of us are taking some of it, and some of us are taking 
another part of it, but it's meant to be taken as a whole. The culture of the church today has become serve me, be there for me when I need you, entertain me, make me happy, don't preach sermons that make me feel bad and don't have any expectations from me. I hear that all the time. It's come to the place where if the church fails in meeting these felt needs that people have, then people will leave and find something or someplace else that will cater to them and they'll quit going to church and they'll live their life to please themselves because after all, all we really know is grace and God is good and God would never ever send anyone to hell. That's what we believe. So the series we're starting today is as important as anything I've ever preached in the 20, almost 23 years. It'll be 23 years next week that we've been here, and this is maybe the most important sermons I've ever preached in my life. In fact, I want to go as far as to say that this, and I'm going to preach part of them, Ian will be preaching a couple of them, this may be the most important sermons preached here in 100 years. That's a pretty bold statement, but I believe that. The title of the series is Culture Wins. My goal as we teach and lead you through this series is that we can once again set the distinctive of who we are what we believe in, and I hope to relay the foundation, reestablish the culture of First Church of the Nazarene. When we get done, I want us to have a firm foundation. I want you to be able to go, this is what we are, this is our culture, this is what we want to become. So I want to get started here right away. So we'll define culture for our purposes as this, the set of shared attitudes, values, goals, and practices that characterize an institution or an organization. Let me say that one more time. I said it very fast. The set of shared attitudes, values, goals, and practices that characterize an institution or organization. Culture is what defines us and gives us purpose and reason to do as we, uh, what we do as a church. So we don't know what our culture is, we don't know who we are, we don't know why we're here, then we don't know why we're supposed to do the things we're doing, and so we start doing everything just because everybody did it before us. Tradition. One of the killers of the church, tradition. It really is. Uh, so much of the stuff that we do, we do because someone did it before us. I've told this story a thousand times, but it's just such a great illustration of the lady who uh, was getting ready to cook a ham, and she lopped off the ends of the ham, and her husband looked at her and said, why are you doing that? She goes, because my mom always did it. It's the way you cook a ham. And he said, oh, I've never seen anybody do that before. So she called her mom. She goes, Mom, I got a question. Why did we lop off the ends of the ham? She goes, because my pan was too short. <laughs> and we have every bit as many crazy, messed up things that we do in the church because the pan was too short. Second is this. Our culture works to connect the leadership and all things together. Because of our shared beliefs. We, we meet and we work together because of shared beliefs. We have shared beliefs. It's not my church. It's not your church. It's not our church because we share. Because we have these shared beliefs. We all work together to achieve them. These are the things that are important. Let's do it. Let's work on it together. What Al did. This is our shared belief. If it's not your shared belief, you're not going to get involved. It allows us to contribute because we know why we're here and what we're here trying to do. Knowing why we're here and what we're here for creates enthusiasm for our common goals. The church has lost its passion because the church doesn't know who or what it exists for. I mean, you say, oh yeah, I mean, it's about Jesus, you know, okay. 
great. What about him? Most people don't know. Most people don't understand. We just do what we do because it's every, what everybody's done for years. Knowing our culture will cause us to love our church and no one will ever love our church until we do. Right now, most people don't love their church. Most people tolerate their church. That is messed up. We should not be tolerating our church. We should be in love with Jesus first, but we should love our church. We should love the people of this church. We should love the culture of this church. We should love what's going on here. If we don't love it, who will? You know, how are we going to give anybody else involved? How are we going to save anybody else if we're not in love with what God is doing here? It's important we understand that. Knowing and defining our culture allows the leadership a chance to build an organization that is fun, purposeful, which causes others to want to participate. Biggest reason people don't want to help in the church is because they don't know who they're working for and why they're working. And someone just comes up and says, would you like to do this? And you go, man, I got plenty to do. I'm already busy all the time. But if you know who you're working for and you know why you're doing it and it's exciting and you love your church, it changes everything. So I believe culture is way more important than our strategy. So I'm not going to talk strategy at all. I'm just going to talk about culture. I think that if you know who you are, you will easily know what to do. We can develop all kinds of neat plans and strategies to reach Muncie, but if we don't have a culture, if we don't have a knowledge of who we are and why we are and who we serve, you will never act on our strategies anyway. So here's the deal. I picture the culture of our church kind of like a wheel. Not a wheel like on your car, but a wheel like on a wagon. Okay, it's got a hub in the center, spokes going out, right? And in the hub, in the center, you know, that hub holds everything to, all together. And each of the spokes represents a part of or a distinctive that supports the first church culture. And I'll be filling those in as we go along, and Ian will help me with that. But the tire around the wheel represents who we are. All of us together around that wheel represents who we are. We together are the church. Okay? So the hub is where I want to start at today. Because nothing will operate if that hub isn't in place. You take the hub out of the wheel and all you got is wooden parts laying everywhere. Okay? So let me read for you First Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. <clears throat> if you want to know who Jesus Christ is, I want you to know you should be reading the book of Colossians, the letter of Colossians. Paul wrote this, wrote it when he was in prison, wrote it to a church. And you need to hear it. It says this, and I'm reading out of the, uh, what, what version is this? Uh, I can't remember right now. It's not NIV. Christ is the, visual, the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. In other words, he is the hub around which everything else in this whole world revolves, period. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. He is first in everything, for God in all of his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to him. He, God, made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now 
he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. But you must continue to believe this truth and stand firm in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. The good news has been preached all over the world, and I, Paul, have been appointed as God's servant to proclaim it, and I'm glad when I suffer for you in my body, for I am participating in the suffering of Christ that continues for his body, the church. So the culture of Muncie First Church must become the same as the culture of heaven. That's, what I, that's the first thing I need to tell you. We need to have the same culture as what goes on in heaven. The culture of heaven revolves around the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus taught us to pray on earth as it is in heaven. If we pray that, we're praying, God, do in earth what you are doing in heaven. If Jesus is in the center of everything in heaven, then he should be the center of everything on this earth, period. This personality, this person of Jesus Christ is at the center of everything in heaven and he must become the center of everything on earth. He must become that which the world revolves around. He must be what our church culture revolves around. Jesus is to be the hub of our church culture. Everything, 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 everything about First Church has to revolve around Jesus, period. Everything has to be about Jesus. Now, I need to tell you that this Jesus that Paul writes about is so far from the Jesus that we have made him out to be. I got to tell you the truth. This Jesus is not the meek and mild European Jesus that you see in Solomon's painting out in the back door. That is a very weak representation of who Jesus Christ is. He wasn't European, first of all. Even in his physical appearance, he was a Jew. And I want to just point that out to you. But listen to the description Paul the Apostle gives of Jesus. Jesus is the image of God Almighty. When you see Jesus, you see God. Man. You know, God was invisible. He was unseeable. He told Moses, you can look at my back. But if you look at my face, you'll die. And then he changed everything. And he ripped the veil in two and he brought Jesus to earth. And now he is the image of God himself. He is the firstborn of all creation. In other words, he was there when it was born. He's the one who spoke, and it happened. I mean, you can explain it to me scientifically all you want to, and I'm not opposed to scientific explanations of how it began, but i got to tell you, there was one behind it who moved it. His name was Jesus. Jesus moved it all and caused it to happen. He is the creator of all things, both in heaven and on earth. Right now, everything that you see, everything that you see, when you walk around, the other day we were outside, it was beautiful, it was blue, the skies were uh, blue and the, and the clouds were white and there was a double rainbow. Jesus made that, put it in place, that's his. All that creation. Have you ever been to the mountains? Have you ever walked among the Rockies? Have you ever been to the Smokies? Have you ever been to the ocean? He created all that. Plus, he created beyond that, the whole heavens and the earth, all those things spinning and twirling out in space. When they show us those pictures from the Hubble telescope, he created all that. It's his creation. He made it. I don't know how it all works. You can tell me scientifically, and that's fine, but he made it, and he keeps it all in place. He holds all things together. That's what the Bible says. You know, our, our universe is expanding, and Jesus is expanding with it. He's letting it expand at his rate. He is the resurrection. I know what dead looks like. I have been around dead. I have been there and I have wept over those who have died. 
Jesus wept over one and then called him from the grave. He is the resurrection. He is the first one to be resurrected from death. He has supremacy in all things. He is supreme. There is nothing greater than Jesus. Jesus is over all. He is completely supreme in all things. And he bears the fullness of God. He is the reconciler of all things. He reconciles. He puts all things back together. Because right now Satan's trying to tear it apart. Jesus is the reconciler. He brings it all back together. And the bottom line of all this is this. Jesus is the core, the very center of all things on heaven and earth. He is the ultimate power for all things. And since he's the core of all things in heaven and on earth, he must, has to be the very core, the center of this church if we are going to exist. Because he is, we can do all things through Christ. We read that scripture and say, I can do all things through Christ. And we act like that and then we go on and do whatever we want. No, 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 no. We can do all things through Christ because he's the core, the center of our hearts and our lives. We have to be a Jesus culture church. And if Jesus is the core, the center of all that is or ever was, and if he's the core, the center of our church, he must also be the center of your life personally through the power of the Holy Spirit. You and I have to accept that. We cannot say, well, I, I, I accept him, but I just, you know, I've got other things that I've got to do now. Everything we do as a church, every program, every ministry, every proce- project, every process, our name, our decor, our music, our small groups, everything we do as a church must be a, as, as a result and for the purpose of making Jesus famous. Period. Everything is about making Jesus Christ the center and seeking to glorify and honor and proclaim and worship him. Nothing else matters. You miss this. And nothing else matters. We're just a country club. We're just a gathering place. We're just a community of people who like to get together and drink coffee on Sunday morning and sit in classrooms for some reason. We're alive and we're redeemed. We have purpose and hope because of Jesus. He's the answer to your problems. Right now, people come to me, I don't know what I'm going to do. Go to Jesus. He does. And I'm serious about that. He's the hope of our future. Right now, I'm looking around and i got to be honest with you. The way things are going in Washington, I'm going, what future? And Jesus says, oh, I've got one. It's all planned. I'm in charge. He's the power to change things. He is the love by which you love others. Anybody got anybody they have trouble loving? <laughs> Y'all ought to be holding your hands up right now. You're sitting next to some of them. I'm sure of that, you know? Reality. Here's the reality of it all. You know what? You have problems loving them because you're loving them. But if you're filled with Jesus, you'll love them because Jesus loves them. That's how it works. He has all things and all power in his hands. He's our focus. All the other things must always, always point to him. You know, the programs and the ministries of this church can never be done because it's the newest, coolest thing. Never again. We don't do it because North Point does it. We don't do it because Bethel Church does it. We don't do it because Elevation does it. They're all great places. But all three of those places do what they do because of Jesus. Period. We don't do things because I like it and want to do it because it pleases me. And we don't do it because it pleases you. We don't sing courses because they're cool. We don't do small groups because they're trendy. And we don't have coffee because it's the coolest trend. We do everything we do as unto 
Jesus. Every aspect of our church must be planned, organized, and executed to be all about pointing to him. Everything, when you walk in here, should point to Jesus. Everything pointing to Jesus. Everything about Jesus. Our theology points to Jesus, not a man or an idea. Our preaching points to Jesus. Our music points to Jesus. Our ministries, all of them point to Jesus. Now, I'm going to say a few things, and this might start stirring up some feelings, but how we clean the church points to Jesus. Doing breakfast at the mission points to Jesus. How we mow the yard points to Jesus. How we keep the parking lot clean points to Jesus. How you do the landscaping points to Jesus. How we greet people points to Jesus. How we include people. I know I'm getting on toes here. You know what? Clicks say stay out. Gotta be careful here, folks. We're about Jesus. And Jesus includes. He reaches out. He encompasses. How we prioritize our lives points to Jesus. How we attend church points to Jesus. Because it says something about who we believe in. It says a lot about our priorities. And all this matters as we point to our core to Jesus. And if Jesus is the core of our being and everything we do revolves around Jesus in our lives, then we must do everything as unto the Lord. So not only in our church does everything point to Jesus, but if we are the church and if Jesus is at the core of our lives, then everything in our personal lives must also point to Jesus. He is the core around which each of our lives must revolve. So how we live our lives... I'm going to get real upset at you're going to get real upset at me now. How we give our money matters. Matters a lot. Tells you a lot about what you believe in. A lot about what you believe in. How you eat. How you use your finances at home and to buy things. The clothes we wear, the people we get to know, the way we act in traffic. And in restaurants, it matters. Oh, it matters. The way we tip. I know some of you were all with me and now it's quieting down here. <laughs> our attitudes, the excesses of our lives, the homes we live in, the care of our things, the things we watch. All these things point to Jesus. The use of our time, our participation in the body of Christ, our words, the things we say, all of these, every part of us as individuals, as family, as the collective body of Jesus points to Jesus if he is the core of who we are. And now you have a couple of choices here of what to do with this message. Number one, you can blow it off and say, well, that's just Pastor Mark. He gets wound up sometimes and we have to calm him down. I've heard it all before, and I really don't care. I'm going to do what I'm going to do, and that is your privilege and right to do. And I will never tell you differently. Secondly, you can take this truth to heart, and you can begin to join me and the staff of this church in doing an inventory and a review of our church and our processes, and most importantly, our own personal lives, and ask the question, does everything I do point 
to Jesus. And I hope it'll be the second in all cases. Each one of us needs to ask these three, or ask these important questions. Number one is, is Jesus at the very core of my life? Is he at the core of your life right now? I mean, is Jesus everything, everything revolves around him like a wheel on the hub? Does everything in your life revolve around Jesus? Or do I just put Jesus' face on to come to church, you know? I'm one way the rest of the week. I'm over here at work, and everybody knows I'm a nasty person at work, and I kind of yell and scream at everybody. And when I'm driving in traffic, I'm flying the bird, as Ian said last week. Or, or uh, if I'm uh, eating at a restaurant and the, and the food doesn't come out exactly perfect, I'm dressing down the waitress and telling her how stupid she is, you know, and I'm leaving a dollar tip for a $40 meal, and I'm, I'm throwing fits at home and yelling at the kids, and everybody is intimidated, and the dog runs under the table and hides when I walk in, you know, and then I come to church, and I put on my churchy face and my Christ face, and I come in here and smile, and I go, man, isn't it good? Yeah, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. I mean, if you're doing that, and there are people that do that, then you're not about Jesus, and you're not going to go to heaven because you're lying. And liars don't go to heaven. So we need to ask questions of ourselves. Is Jesus reflected in my attitudes at home? Is he reflected in my attitude at work? And is he reflected in my attitude at school? And is he reflected in my attitude in public? Is Jesus reflected in my choice of friends? And you go, oh, or, or, and what are you talking about here? You know, there was a time when my parents told me, be careful of the friends you choose. Let me, let me tell you, I, I agree with them. Let me ask you, are you befriending people who don't know Jesus? I'm not asking you not to get rid of your worldly friends. I'm asking you to spend less time with your church friends and more time with worldly friends who don't know Jesus. Are you spending time with them? Are you getting to know broken people? People who need Jesus badly. When things are difficult in your life, who do you run to? This is such a telling part of this sermon. Who do you run to? Do I run to Jesus or do I immediately run to my family and my friends? Am I on the phone immediately as soon as something happens? Oh, you got to talk to you. What, what do I do? What do I do? Or do you simply get on your knees and spend some time taking it all to Jesus and say, Lord, help me? Do you really believe he can help you? Do you really believe that Jesus can help you? Because, see, I don't think most of us really do. We think that we do, but I think that if we did really believe that, he'd be the first one we'd run to. And who do I point my family and friends to when they have a crisis? Do I try to fix everything for them? Or do I suggest worldly solutions first? You know, like run to the doctor, make sure that you take care. Maybe what we need to do is we need to go borrow some money. Why not first run to Jesus? Lord, what do we do? Teach us, show us, guide us, help us. Shouldn't he be the first, if he's at the core, that we run to? Do I strive to reflect Jesus to others by ministering and caring for them, even people I don't know or have connection and affinity to? I mean, every time we go outside, we have an opportunity to say, you know what, I love you. I watched somebody this week in a very difficult situation on a telephone call that all week long they, they struggled 
this was a struggle, an ongoing struggle with a help center. How many of you know what I'm talking about, a help center? They speak half of English and half of, I'm not sure why that's, I think they speak in the tongues of men and of angels or something. I, it's definitely not English, and, and it's a struggle. And sometimes you're speaking and you have no clue what they're saying back, and it's a struggle. And I watched this person as they struggled and stayed calm and stayed loving. And finally, at the end of it, with this person, they talked to them and they shared Jesus with them and said, you know, I want to tell you, thank you for what you've done for me. I was so convicted. That ruined my heart because I was like, man, I would have like been screaming, what's wrong with you people? You know. <laughs> Is Jesus at the core of how you make decisions? Is he at the core of how you choose to spend your money? Is he at the core of how you spend your time? Is he at the core of how you take care of your body yourself? Is he at the core of how you choose to entertain yourself? I mean, those are questions that we need to ask. See, the truth is, there was never a reason to make rules in the church about what we should or shouldn't wear, drink, eat, watch. All that was a big mistake. Call my DS and tell him I said so. I will talk to him about that, you know. But I believe this with all of my heart. All we needed to do and all we need to do is make Jesus the core, the core of our culture in this church. And everything that was created through him and for him, he, or everything was created through him and for him, he existed before anything else. He holds all creation together. And he will hold us together if we make him the core. So let me again ask you, who or what is at the center of your life? Who or what is holding everything together for you? Does your life reflect Jesus or does it reflect something else? See, the world reflects a core, a center of greed and selfishness right now. I don't know that it's ever been more selfish and more greedy than it is right now. Everybody is like, what can I get out of this? What can you do for me? How much money will I get? We, the church, need to stand in stark contrast to that. We need to shine like a light in a dark cave. Anybody been in a dark cave? You turn on a light, it's like, wow, what a difference. See, the only thing that truly makes us different than the world is the core. Jesus, period. It's Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Nothing else matters. It's Jesus. I'm going to close with that. I don't know if that's made any sense to any of you or not. I'm feeling a little bit like it didn't, and I'm really fighting it, but I know one thing. I know that if God's here, he's probably spoken to some hearts, and maybe there's some of you who just need to come and pray, and you know, say, I need to change some things. I need to make him my core. He needs to be the core of this church. I have I am bound determined that I will do everything I can as a pastor to make Jesus Christ the very center of our lives here in this church. This will be what he's all about, what this church is all about is him. And I ask that you would think about doing that in your own life, and I'm doing that in my life. He's at the center. Let's stand together right now, and we're going to have the band play, and as they play, the altars are open. If you need to pray, you're welcome to pray. If not, that's okay too, but we are going to become a very Christ-centered church. More than we've ever been. We're going to move. That's it. All about Jesus. It's all about Jesus.
from beginning to the end, it will always be, it's always been you, Jesus, Jesus, nothing you 
It's all about you. Yes, it's all about you. Amen. Is he at the center of your heart right now? Is he at the center of your life? Do you live your life revolving around Jesus? That's the way it's supposed to be. That's what he meant. That's what he came here for. So that we'd have someone to live our lives around, someone that could help us in every way. Jesus, I love him. Love him today. I hope you do too. Father, right now we thank you for this day. And I thank you, Lord, for being here with us. And I thank you, Lord, that, that you are here with us, that you are the very center of our lives, that your Holy Spirit lives in us and you speak to us and you guide us and you direct us and you teach us. And Lord, we are so thankful for what you do. And Lord, you are the center. You're the, the focus, the center of our lives, Lord. And we bring to you right now every concern, everything that's going on, Lord. Right now there are people that are dealing with financial problems, dealing with spiritual problems, dealing with physical problems, dealing with all kinds of issues with their children, all the things that are just too much to mention at times. And Lord, you said that you would take care of us, that you would be there. Lord, we cast all of our cares upon you. We bring them to the center. We bring them to Jesus. We bring all of our burdens to you and we lay them down. Because, Lord, we know that you are the center and you're in charge and you're going to help us and you're going to take care of us. So right now, Lord, meet the needs right now in this church. Meet the needs right here at this altar. Meet the needs in the pews and meet the needs in places and homes, wherever, Lord, that, that people are right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for being the center of our lives. Lord, help us to live that out this week. Lord, I know that that's hard. That at times we want to get in the middle. At times we want to put other things. At other times, Lord, we think we know best. This, this, this is really what I need to do. Lord, don't let us do that. Help us to go to you and say, Lord, what do you want? What do you want us to do? How do you want us to run things? How do you want us to operate, Lord? And help us to be obedient to you in everything we do. We love you today, Lord. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being at the very core of who we are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen. Lord bless you. Lord bless you.